Hey guys, Michael here. Um, burning the midnight oil a little bit. It's about 10.20 p.m. on a Saturday night. Uh, episode should have been posted yesterday, but uh, this past week I was out of town visiting family. And uh, I never just... It became too difficult to finish it all before I left. Um, so it's going to be... it's it, You know, it's going to be up. It's going to be up tonight. Actually, when I'm as soon as I finish recording this, it's going to get uploaded. I uh, wanted to give you guys a little bit of preface. This episode's a little bit different than what we normally do. Uh, usually, when I do an interview episode, it's me interviewing a guest of some sort. This one's going to be a little different because, for once, I'm actually the one being interviewed. So, what you're going to hear is an interview that was conducted with me by a filmmaker by the name of Kim Otzelberger. Kim, if I mispronounced that, I'm sorry, I tried. It's Kim Otzelberger. She uh, runs a little company called Bearheart Productions. She's still in school, and she wanted to make, and she's, well, didn't want to. She still is making a documentary about filmmakers, passionate people, um, with a kind of a, a bent towards horror. And she had reached out to me and asked if I could be in the documentary, and I said, sure. Um, so she came over, we set up a camera, and she, she pretty much the biggest thing she told me, she just wanted me to be really unfiltered and just speak from my heart, speak from my mind. So it's going to be a lot of me talking. Um, and I've been doing this for quite a while where I can answer most questions um, and most follow-up questions with an answer. So it's going to be a lot of me talking, but it's you know meant to cut back and forth amongst other people and honestly a lot of times with the interviewer the best thing an interviewer can do is try to be as involved as little as possible but I I wanted to specify because it is a little it is a little weird you hear an um you hear a voice that you're not familiar with asking me questions she's never officially introduced and I'm never really officially introduced because all was going to be done with uh, cryons and such and in context of the documentary so um yeah, I wanted to introduce this and give you guys an idea of what you're going to hear. It, I think it's kind of a fun little interview. I get pretty open about a lot of things. Um, this is also going to be one of the last podcasts with my old mic setup, where I um, I was using a cheap microphone for our secondary mic, and that it, it was just just terrible quality. I had to do a lot of fixing up for it. Uh, I recorded all the audio for this for her. Um, and because of which we still had the issue of the audio cutting in and out at times. So if there's awkward cuts, it's probably because the audio stopped recording. I had to restart it. So hopefully we won't have that issue much anymore. But I, uh, yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know about it. So uh, yeah, here's my uh, or here's Kim Otzelberger's interview with me. Um, about my life and career in film. So, thanks for listening, guys. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show.
Alberta, I think, is a very amazing school, mm -hmm. but it's not a film school. So <laughs> I've um, kind of turned media design into my own major cool. and kind of structured it more like a film major. So all of my projects, if it's like here, write a paper, or do a speech, I try to incorporate film in some kind of way, whether I'm talking about it or I can actually do a short film. I got a funny story about that once you finished. Okay. Um, so the main reason I'm doing this research project is to kind of really connect with people who either went to film school, they're doing the film stuff, they're in some kind of film career. So after I graduate, which is in a year, which sounds scary, but it'll be okay. Um, you got I'll, this. Yeah, I'll have some kind of connections or some kind of direction on where I could potentially go. Yeah. So what's your story now? I want to know. Well, my story is actually kind of funny because uh, I, when I was in high school, sorry, I'm just... No, you're good. I'm just being a, a nerd when it comes to audio, make sure everything is sounding good. When I was in high school, I didn't like writing papers. Mm. And I would actually uh, uh, get really beastie about not having to write papers, so much to the point where I, I actually wrote a paper about why I shouldn't have to write a paper. Nice. Which is very counterintuitive. Right. But anytime that I, like we had a project due or a paper, if I could do a video instead, I would. Yeah. So, um, like, if we had to write a paper or do a project, I would be like, can I make a video instead? <laughs> I even made a video for science class. Yeah, I did too. Yep. So, it's like, it was supposed to be about deforestation, so I made a, I made a movie about Bigfoot. Nice. Because Bigfoot lives in a forest somewhere, and it made no sense, but I still got an A on it. It had nothing, had no scientific merit whatsoever. Yeah. But I got to make a movie about a Bell Bigfoot, and what's best of all, I didn't have a Bigfoot costume, so I just had a friend of mine walking around in full cloak and just pretending to be Bigfoot. So, nice. Was he far enough away? Yeah. So, like... No. It was oh. full-on close-ups. Nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, I get where you're coming from, where you don't, oh. you don't have the major you want, so you you find any any way to to pursue it right. on your own. I get that, I, I, I love that. Right, so did you go to film school? I think I remember you went to UWM. Yes, I went yeah. to UWM, so specifically the Peck School of the Arts. Oh. I was uh, accepted into a couple other film schools. I was accepted into uh, Columbia College in both Chicago and California. Oh, and look I was at also you. accepted to Vancouver Film School. I couldn't afford any of them, even with the measly scholarships they gave me, which, right. if anyone's listening, I appreciate those scholarships. Yeah. They just didn't do much for me. Like, I, going out of country would have been just terribly expensive. And Columbia's housing alone was more than probably I paid to go to UWM. Alone? Probably. Probably close to. That just made my to. entire body cringe. So... <laughs> I wanted to go there, but right. then what I'm really happy with, because um, if I wouldn't went to any of those other schools, I would have had an amazing education. But they turn out filmmakers like a machine, mm. where I don't want to. I don't want to be so bold as to say they 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 aren't favoring creativity because that's not the truth at all. But a lot right. of the a lot of these big time film schools. You pick your you pick your focus very early. Oh, I want to be a director. I want to be a cinematographer. I want to be an editor, and you focus specifically on that. They teach you the Hollywood may have way of making films, which is still really good because I don't have that knowledge. So for me to go on a set and try to PA or to try to grip, I've got a very different way of working than people who have gone to those other schools or people who, unlike myself, right after college started going off and freelancing and working. So right. they they learn those skills. 
which I never got. So I, I got to give him a lot of credit for that. But then your your entire focus is towards your senior project, which you pick one senior project that the group wants to do and you essentially crew it. Mm, yeah. You know, if I'm going to study in cinematography and I don't get a chance to be the cinematographer, I'm a grip. I'm a gaffer. I'm some, I'm the fucking best boy. Whatever right. they need. It's, so it's kind of a cool way of working where everyone gets to do their focus and then by the end of it, you all learn how to make a professional film, mm-hmm. which is cool. I, my education was very different. My first class, they threw a camera in my hands essentially and said, go out and fucking make something. Um, and they also didn't let you use digital cameras. Oh. So when I was in school, we didn't have books. We had to buy film. Yeah. And one real film, which is 100 feet, with my student discount was about 15 bucks. It's normally 25, so it's a pretty sick deal. Until you realize 100 foot of film gets you roughly three and a half minutes of footage. Mm, okay. And I was shooting on a camera from, from World War II, these old film cameras. Yeah, this yeah. would be a good time for you to insert a clip of an old film camera. <laughs> um, and didn't roll sound. You had you had turret lenses on it. So it was like, it was three lenses. It was a small, it was a small medium and large for close up uh, distances and so on and so forth right. that you switched between uh, and they just rotate around you couldn't like DSLRs you can okay I need a 50 millimeter only pop that on you right. had those three lenses to choose from and that was it no sound uh, I had to crank the camera to make it roll and that's how we learned to shoot you weren't you you couldn't use digital cameras until you passed portfolio and because that's how they weeded people out mm. because everyone wants to go to film school and get their hands on like a digital camera and start making cool shit. Right. But it's like, no, you have to learn how to shoot, how to light, how to use a light meter. Right. Because now you can just look at the camera and be like, oh, it's a little dark in here. Let me play with my settings a little bit. Then I had to I had to use a light meter to figure out my exposure because what I was looking through the viewfinder did not give me an accurate representation of what the camera's seeing. Yeah. So, but they threw a camera in my hands and said, just go out there and make something, create something. You know, we had a processing lab in house that they would process the film. Uh, and you found out the hard way that our processing lab always processed it two stops lower. Hmm. So if I had, if I was shooting for perfect exposure, yeah. it'd come out two stops darker than it was supposed to. Hmm. So you then learn, okay, I should go two stops higher so that it will even itself out. And then you take it to the editing bay, you reel it up and you cut it by hand. So it was a very, it was a very different way of working. Right. But it was completely independent, which I liked. Mm-hmm. They gave you a theme. Okay, go out and shoot in nature. And however that responds to you, nature, whether it be, you know, the actual art of, you know, of shooting nature, photography, and, you know, trees, wind, water, heart. Can't right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to internalize it a little more like right. what does nature mean to me so it, it was a very different way of working yeah so would you say that was like your most influential moment from your film school career um, or was there a certain class that maybe stood out above the rest that's where it becomes tough because i have a, a love and appreciation for shooting on film now yeah. that I didn't at the time mm-hmm. i was very stubborn going through film school and i yeah like every like not every but like a lot of young students i thought i knew better i thought i knew the world i thought why do i need to learn this old shit and i thought it was cool getting to learn it don't get me wrong right uh i just didn't have the appreciation for it whereas um i wish i would have i wish i would have taken a little more time with it and learned to shoot better than i yeah. did 
uh, everything was there for me to learn. I just had this very dumb idea in my brain of how this situation was going to work. Right. For me, the most influential uh, moment was also my most difficult. It was later on in, in school, I took a cinematography class mm -hmm. with a professor by the name of Iverson White, who's an old school film guy. Um, with his with his cinematography class, every it, it kind of works this way that say some of the big film schools work. Is in cinematographer in cinematography, everyone you're every week you shoot someone else's project. You pick a scene. He gives you different styles of lighting, whether it be high key, low key, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then you have to sh you have to find a scene that matches that style of lighting, and then shoot it frame by frame the exact same way. And then every week, some uh, someone was the cinematographer, someone was the director, and then everyone else crewed it. Mm. And that was my most influential moment because one, he expected everyone to come in knowing everything that you should have learned in your basic film classes that I was too naive to feel like was necessary to me. So it was baptism right. by fire. I had to pull out my eight, my, my American cinematographer's guide and learn the, the mathematical equation for doing perfect uh, exposure. Uh, but then I also got to learn all these different positions. And there was a week where I got to be director and I had to communicate with my cinematographer to show him the shot. I couldn't just be like, here's a picture of the shot we're trying, because we, we all have our, our clips with us so that way we can reference it and try to recreate as best we can. Right. But then I'd have to tell him, it's like, okay, I need, need the camera at, at a medium angle. I need to have the actors here and here, figure out the blocking with them. I would need to, um, give an idea of what lenses we we needed and then i had to also help try to figure out which lights where with how much diffusion and learn how to light a scene and i right. still suck at it to this day so we might lose a little bit of audio here so that's, that's okay that's another learning tactic <laughs> for you we're trying to figure out where everything is at yeah um what was i saying oh bruce willis bruce willis young kevin smith yeah. and um Cinematographer said to Kevin, hey, we got the shot ready. And he's like, cool, let's shoot it. And Bruce Willis was like, aren't you going to look at the camera? And he's like, no, I trust my cinematographer. And that was kind of was like, I was like, oh, he's a big time director. He just trusts his cinematographer. He doesn't have to look at it. And I learned that that's the wrong fucking way to do it. You right. always check your cinematographer's work because you want to know what's being shot. So I had all these ideas in my brain of what a director was like and what a director did and because of you know dvd commentaries and shit like that because i ate all that up right am i allowed to swear on this yeah yeah okay, you're cool. good <laughs> cool um and i was wrong i learned a lot from that situation so right. um that was the that was the most impactful moment for me was um i loved my film school because it taught me to be creative and think outside the box and do things in a very different way but then those moments of having to work on a real set where like i think that's what missing in film school you get one way or the other mm. people who learn how to work on that full set sometimes aren't the most creative right. and i'm not saying there's not creative people that go to those schools it's completely wrong there are plenty of creative people but like i love that my school taught me different ways of viewing things they had a penchant towards art film so you watched a lot of art film and you learn how to break things down and understand right. it and why you're doing what you're doing for what reason and what emotional response you're trying to get 
And then there was classes that taught you how to crew and taught you how to work with other people and make this stuff happen, but it wasn't their focus. I think, what, and then while other schools will have some classes on on theory and on, on that creative side, Right. But your focus is being on a set, so you can kind of choose. I think the perfect school should be one that actively teaches both. Right. So that way you can have both of those. I think Robert Rodriguez one time says, um, he said a, a creative person can learn the technical side, but a technical person can't learn to be creative. Mm. So I've been talking for a while. I don't know if you've actually ever officially introduced me. I no, I just kind of let it go okay. through the flow. Um just because I want it to seem more real, not like no, that's cut understandable. Interviews. Like you give me a live mic, I can talk. That's, yeah. that's the reason I did. A, I've been doing a podcast, podcast. for three years because um, for that, that that was the uh, doing episodes on my own was the what were big deals because I was like, how am I going to talk by myself for no reason about anything? But all of my episodes, like my last episode I recorded on my own was an hour and 30 minutes of just me. Yeah, we had clips in once and that maybe right. took up 10 minutes. Of, but it's like, I talked for an hour and 20 minutes it's okay. I by you. myself. Yeah. Um, so it seems like your film school experience was like, it had its ups and, sound, but yeah. ups and downs, but overall it was like an amazing experience. Did you go on the graduate school at all or did you just do your... I've been thinking about graduate school. Okay. I haven't officially decided if that's the route I want to go, but it's it's one of those things I want to go to graduate school because I want to continue my education. Mm -hmm. And there's regrets I have in my film school career that if I could go back and teach young mm -hmm. Michael and be like, hey, pay more attention to this, pay more attention to this. Don't be so naive. Don't have just a single idea of how you're going to make it in this film world right. because it's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in that way. Um, I've thought about going back to grad school and learning a different side of it and, and making it so that I could teach because I was a teacher for five years as oh. well. Um, but then I've talked to former professors of mine and who are like, save your money. You can learn, every, you can, the books are your best friends essentially. And I've heard mixed things like the reason I want to go back to grad school is to like kind of, I don't want to say rekindle my love for film because it's never gone away, but as a way to yeah, if you pay a little more attention to some of those things that I didn't, I, I, I didn't think I needed. Right. Um, and be able to get equipment to use for free. That's pretty, yes. that's pretty dope. Because uh. um, I don't have any equipment of my own. I borrow from other people or yeah. things like that. So like I've thought about it. Um, but then I just keep thinking of like the financial aspect of it. And um, and this might be getting a little too personal. But I also think too is like, is it going to really progress my film career anywhere else? I am where I am right now because of my own actions. And, yes. and I wouldn't consider where I'm at to be a failure in any way. I chose a different path. Right. Most people, when they leave film school, they they either, they, they have a couple routes. So some people move to LA or Chicago or Atlanta, wherever there's a hotbed of film work. Mm -hmm. They start freelancing right away, which is a very popular thing. They start crewing up for commercials, things like that. You know, there'll be a grip and hope to work their way up to camera op and maybe cinematographer and they'll right. maybe shoot some stuff on the side or they'll take my path where I I made a couple really successful films outside of, out, out of film school. I had a real, I had a, uh, like a two year stretch that was amazing. 
And I thought, well, this is what's going to keep propelling me. I'm, I've made these films. I've gotten these crews behind me. I just got to keep writing cool scripts or coming right. up with ideas and people will work with me to help make them. And there is some truth behind that. I always have people who are willing to help. But then I realize it's like, I haven't made a film in three years. It's not from lack of wanting to. I have right. scripts. I have ideas. There's not a lot of money. And my issue is lately that I have not been able to write a script that is affordable to shoot. Mm. And it's like, I sit down and be like, I got to write a script that I could probably shoot in my house with my own friends, a couple cameras, do this nice and easy. I'll sit there and it'll be fucking crickets. But then I'm like, how about instead I write a film about professional wrestling in the 1970s? Let's do that instead. Yeah. <laughs> and all the ideas fucking flow. Right. So, and like, I've got friends of mine who are, who are producers who are like, I like your ideas. We'll see what we can do and try to see if we can find some money or find a way to shoot it cheaper. But they're all working and they're all doing things. And that's awesome and fantastic. Right. Uh, and I still believe in my heart of hearts that I'm going to make stuff. I'm going to get stuff done. Because the one thing you you have to stop doing, that I had to stop doing, was comparing myself to, uh, to success stories. Mm, you know, you yeah. always hear about those success stories. Like, oh, I made my first film when I was 22 years old. And now I'm making Godzilla or whatever. Right. You know, the, the reality. Or, you know, Quentin Tarantino didn't go to school and worked in the video store. And then got lucky and made Reservoir Dogs and has had a career. You got to shed that. Right. realize there's a lot of filmmakers who don't make their first film to their 30s right you know it's that's just how it works um and you just got to find ways to keep your love of film going i knew myself i wasn't i wasn't a very good shooter so doing freelance work well i could do it i could shoot i can set the camera i can do all that i'm not great at lighting and like i know myself <laughs> yeah, being yeah. Honest. i'm not great at lighting. i could probably shoot freelance but freelance is tough because and this isn't the case of everyone it freelance can really beat you down and makes people who fucking loved film make them not love it anymore right. same thing with crewing you know when it's your nine to five job it's not it's hard for it to be a passion and that's why some people who freelance or crew or whatever they have their own personal projects to keep them going right but if you don't have that those personal projects propelling <laughs> you forward yeah yeah you can lose all that love that you once had. If it stops again, let me know. No, yeah, I'm keeping an eye on it too. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of in that boat where I'm not a very good shooter. I feel I'm a, I feel like I'm a good writer. Yeah. Uh, I don't like toot my own horn. I'm just going to what other people have told me. I feel like I'm a good writer. I wrote my first feature film in high school. That's pretty. Granted, cool. it was 300 pages, so that was, it was insanely long. But I wrote my first feature film in high school. I, I wrote at least two or three of them while I was in college. Most of them were not very good or really unshootable. Yeah. There's one I have right now that I think is really good. And there's people I want to work with. But, you know, everything needs to come together. Right. Um, but what I've done is to not... Because it becomes very disillusioned. I'm sure it's even happened with you. You're, you're still really young. You had your Italy trip. You're doing yeah. that. And then you wanted to make this documentary. It may not be going the exact way you yeah. planned for it to go, but and I'm sure there's parts of you be like, why am I even bothering? Why am I doing this? And the bad days can make you really question why you like doing this. Right. I'm sure you can you can attest yeah, to that. Yeah. But then you, everyone needs to have their thing that keeps them going. For me, it's the podcast. Right. Because. If I wasn't actively doing much for film other than maybe writing when I have time, talking about it with my filmmaking friends and being like, oh, what if we did this? What if we did this? That's not enough to keep me going. And right. coming home and just putting a movie on, 
if like when I was in film school, I would watch a movie to be inspired. Be like, yeah. oh, like look at the way that they move the camera in this scene. I'd love to do something like that. Look at the performance they got out of this actor. I'd love to do something like that. They didn't cut out of it. You know, this is a five minute scene. They haven't cut the camera once. I'd love yeah. to do something like that. Yeah. I watched it for inspiration. So if say if I'm not making movies, say just for whatever reason I can't make them right now, what am I watching movies for? Mm-hmm. It's hard to sometimes keep that love just so like having an outlet where I can talk about them or write about them or the fact that film festivals have been asking me to come out and moderate panels about film and I've been becoming a personality. It's no longer, you know, my cry on on the bottom of a screen used to say Michael Virus filmmaker. Right. Now it's Michael Virus sometimes sometimes it says filmmaker, filmmaker podcaster cineast you know right. film culturist as i've been calling myself like i've got like more that. layers to it yeah and that's what keeps me going i don't remember what the question was but i kind of no yeah no i liked where you took it um you answered a lot of my questions all in one like See, i don't need you here i could have just done <laughs> just this interview talk. on my own i could have got i could have hit everything you wanted me to do just on my own <laughs> um but I guess, okay, so talk about after c- college. Okay, Wh- like, where? Um, maybe Drop me first, in a timeline. Maybe first film that you did. Okay. Um, um, or maybe the first time you started the podcast because it's such okay. a big piece of you. Well, I'll, I'll do it in two parts. So okay. Podcast came later. First film outside of film school can't really be talked about unless I talk about what, what to be I consider to be my first film period. Okay. Because I made stuff in film school one or two of them I think are actually pretty good but it's you know like if one day I were a you know I was a a a relatively successful filmmaker and someone wanted to put out a collection of my early films I don't know if I put those two some of those other ones on it the one that I kind of cite as my first real film was one I did in college it was my senior thesis film Mm. Uh, it's called From the Darkness Theater oh I I showed you that one. I'm pretty sure I see the horror host and yes, and then the guy like gets at the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. I've totally seen this one. I can I consider that to be my first real film. (laughs) Um, and like I came into that project like a bat out of hell. I feel like it's something to prove because um, horror films were kind of looked down upon. Mm, Yeah, I feel that they they're more acceptable now because we've had these this run of high art horror cinema yeah. coming out the last couple of years. So it's better now, but like when I was in school, like torture porn was like the big thing. Yeah. So it's like everyone viewed as everything as being a man, you know, in a mass chasing a woman. Right. You know, and that's part of it. You know, that is part of the genre. You, you know, if you're right, going to you be, a, you're going to be a horror fan, you can have things you like and have things you don't like, but you can't just completely ignore part of it. Right. You know, for better, or for worse, it's, it's part of the history. Right. Um, and I was a big horror guy and I was like, I wanted to be like, I want to show people that you can have more. I wanted to show people that you can make a horror film that maybe that follows, you know, the tropes and everything that is well made and interesting and all that good shit. Right. But that's also a horror film and it's cool. It's not a scary film. Some people would consider it to be a thriller, which I think thriller is just a nice word for horror film. Yeah, I not, agree. You know, not every film has to necessarily be jump scare to to be effective. I know. <laughs> I know I'm not paying enough attention to you. Um 
So I I repurposed an idea that was not mine originally. Right. It's, this is no this isn't the whole Frankie. Frankie, calm down, <laughs> calm down, big girl. <laughs> it's it's no surprise. Um, one of my favorite horror films. It's a, it's kind of like a revisionist slasher film. It's a movie from 1980 called Maniac by yep. William Lustig. They made a remake with Elijah Wood a couple like a couple years ago. Um, it's one of my favorites because it's something that it's a character piece wrapped in a horror film. It's mm. very thoughtful and interesting, but also grotesque and at times hard to watch. Right. And I think those the conflicting films are the things that, what interests me sometimes. A movie that makes you care about a character, but is also a terrible person at the same. You know, I want. Mm. I feel like yeah. films should challenge. You shouldn't. Uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, you can be opposed to a movie 100, percent but you should still see challenging things once in a while if you're yeah. if you if you can handle it right but with maniac uh they it was so successful they wanted to do a sequel a sequel mm -hmm. with buddy uh, uh buddy giovazio i think giovazio he directed a movie called uh, combat shock okay. and they were going to do a unofficial sequel called mr robbie mm -hmm. starring the same guy william uh um uh, uh, Joe Spinell. Joe Spinell. They wanted to do, have him back in it, and it was about the, a TV clown who gets a letter from a young fan that uh, his father's abusing him. And I essentially stole that storyline because I thought it was such an interesting story and did my own thing with it. Mm. Uh, and it's no shock because uh, a, a horror festival called me out on it. Yeah. Not in a mean way, they, they, but they, they wrote their own definition uh, that inspired by Maniac 2, Mr. Robbie. I'd never said it out loud, but I was right. like, they 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 saw it, and that's an obscure poll. I'm just gonna own it now, because right. I can't hide hide from it. like oh, I've never seen it or any of that shit. It's you know, I also made enough references to it, like yeah. where I named my character uh, Robert Spinell, so after the character from Mr. Robbie with the actor's last name who played him, yeah. I wasn't hiding it. Right, you were pretty. Out I was there. pretty open <laughs> with it, but I wanted to do my own version of it, um, and. I think it did pretty well. It, it got me to the Cannes Film Festival. Right. It didn't play necessarily at the Cannes Film Festival. It played at the Short Film Corner. So it's not, some people don't consider it to be actually playing at Cannes because you weren't on an official screen. Mm -hmm. Short Film Corner is a TV setup with every short film that they've accepted that you can choose to go there and watch. Oh. So I still consider it the official yeah, selection. Yeah, I would consider it too. But I didn't play on a screen. Right. But that that was a big moment for me because I was like, hey, a movie that everyone told me is kind of a dumb idea or it's just a boring horror movie or that. And I this is the exact thing I was told from a professor of mine. You're only make uh, is like Michael doesn't have to worry because he's making horror films. So he's always going to make his money back. It's like, oh, you, so you're saying that horror can't be artful, can't be interesting. Right. Well, here I am at the biggest film festival in the world with a horror film. Right. And there's where I got to meet Lloyd Kaufman of Trauma Entertainment, and that took a big turn in my life. And the success of From the Darkness Theater is why I got my next film, Love You Still. I think I saw that one too. That About was the so... old man in the cabin? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I had to apply for that job. It was part of Milwaukee Films' now defunct um, screenwriting competition, where high schoolers from all around Wisconsin wrote in their heart of hearts what they thought a script was. They didn't need to know format, they didn't have to know any of that. Just write a script with an idea. And then all the scripts got read. Um, the best 50 of them got called into a screenwriting um, screenwriting seminar. 
mm-hmm. to teach them actual formatting, wh- what goes into writing a good script, so on and so forth. Like take what you wrote before, which was we we thought there was something good there, refine it. Then they they choose they they narrow it down to five, and a director of their choosing gets to read the five scripts, choose which one he wants to do, and they give them a budget and a crew and all this other stuff. I was one of the directors who got to pl- who got to read the five scripts and pitch my idea. Mm-hmm. Um, what got me in the room was a scene from From the Darkness Theater. It's the mm-hmm. very last scene of my lead character sitting after he had just murdered someone, sitting in the mirror, putting his makeup on the next morning, mm-hmm. singing to himself, yeah, or just humming to himself. That was the scene I, I submitted for my director reel. Just that one scene, and it got me in the door. I went and pitched my idea and they liked what I wanted to do with it and they chose me. And I thought this is a good moment for me to show that I'm not just the guy who made a horror film. Right. Uh, there was a horror script in there and everyone was expecting me to choose it. Right. But I knew that. Right. So I chose not to pick it. And I chose the left field option, which most people view it as the left field option. My best friend, uh, Kyle, who's also a filmmaker, Yeah. he's like... I was, I was telling him, I was like, oh, everyone expected me to choose a horror film, and they thought this was the left field option. He was like, he's like, well, maybe it's because I know you. This is the logical script for you. I right. was like, thank you. That's what I thought. Yeah. But it's not the horror script. Right. And I made that film. That was a great experience. I shot that entire film in two or three days. We had a full crew, a full budget, you know, professional light. It's It was my first experience really direct. It's mm-hmm. from the darkest theater. It was running gun. It was very guerrilla with my friends. Like we had professional lights and everything. Like we were doing what we thought professionals did. Yeah, we were pretty close. Yeah, yeah. It turned but out then, good. It turned out good. Like, uh, but then when I shot this other thing, it's like, oh, you know, we have detailed schedules. We have shot lists. We have um, all this other stuff that go into it. All this pre-production I have to do as well. Where it's like, oh, we need to have every article of clothing picked and a reason for why I picked it. And I needed to have the complete complete film visualized beforehand. Whereas when from the Darkest Theater, I had a rough idea, but well, we would just find it in the scene as we were shooting. Mm-hmm. It's like now it's like, well, what do you want to do for this next shot? And I normally I would just look at the uh, the cinematographer and be like, what are you thinking? Yeah. And they'll, and you know they'd be like, no, what do you want to do? It's your vision. Right. The cinematographer is here to help create that vision and give ideas along the way, but it's not the cinematographer's. Movie. Right. It's your movie, and that was a big moment for me. It's like you're right. I need to, I need to have this completely visualized, and cinematographer and I worked together to create that. That was a big moment for me, and I was like, yeah. in a year's time, I made these two really polished movies. Yeah, they were good. I liked them. Um, and From the Darkest Theater did really well for itself. It played at film festivals all over the world. It even got to play at. Uh, the festival down in Texas called the Housecore Horror Festival, nice. which was big for me because it played before Argento Suspiria. Mm. And like, that was a big moment because it's like, yeah. holy shit, I, I get to play before one of the greatest horror films of all time. Uh, Love You Still did well, not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, I have thoughts as to why, but it's important. I'm still really happy with that film. I should have pushed it to more film festivals. I was just broke. Because another thing, we crowdfunded from the Darkness Theater. And to my knowledge, I was one of the first people to crowdsource their senior project. Oh. It's become a common thing now, but when I was in senior, my senior class, 
that stuff was still new. Right. And I had written that script a year before my I even went to senior project. So I was pre-producing it beforehand to the point where, because how senior project works, you have two semesters. First semester, you, you um, do all your pre-production and maybe start shooting. Second semester, you shoot and edit. Well, wig, I was going to do a senior project this year that kind of had the same yeah. setup, but like, of course, it doesn't exist. I shot the entire thing by, I was done shooting by the time my second week of senior project one came around. Nice. Or because like my, my teacher was like, yeah, come in to class t next week with three ideas you'd like to do for your senior project and kind of give us an idea of what you want to do. And I raised my hand and was like, can I not do that? <laughs> He's like, well, why? I'm shooting next week. I have my script. I have it done. I'm shooting next week. <laughs> so I was already roughing feathers and I was already editing by the time I got to my second semester. So that's well, good. It's like your process. Yeah. Like so that. that was how that all came to be. And then with Love You Still, it was a very long process where, um, like even because it was very strange for me because making from the director's theater, I did everything. I did all the editing. I did, I had someone else help me with the audio. Um, but like I picked, I went out and bought all the costumes, the props. I had yeah. a friend, a good friend of mine who was helping me at the time with it, but I pretty much did everything. And then when it came to love you still, they're like, Oh, just tell us what you need. We'll go out and get it. Wig. What? Yeah. Um, like we'd have pre-production meetings and they're like, well, what do you want? And, and I'd be like, well, I don't know if we can find this, but, and I pitch my idea of how I think it should look and time period wise. And they're like, we can do that. We've got connections with antique stores and such. And like, well, I really want to shoot in the cabin as well. So we went on a location scout finding a cabin. And we found a cute little cabin, cute little cabin on a woman's property. We asked if we could see it. And she's like, yeah, yeah, of course. And we, you know, we're going to pay her for it and everything. Mm -hmm. We went inside and it's like, oh, it's really nice. But like, there's mud that comes up to here. It looks oh. like it hasn't been lived in in probably 40 years. Yeah. It's like, it would be really cute. And she's like, like, do you like the cabin? The, my producer, I, love, I, I would love it if it was more livable. And she's like, that's not a problem. If you like it, we can make it livable. And I was like, yeah, I love it. And then she's like, cool, we'll get on it. I count, uh, from what I heard is like, uh, our crew was going there on on the Friday before shooting to, to go and clean it all up and everything. And she's yeah. like, oh, it'll look good tomorrow. And like, so it's the cabin, like, so the mud's really high. There's a, the sink is in one location. I didn't really like where it was located because I, I wanted to put a desk there and everything. I was like, mm. oh, I wish those were reversed. I come in, the mud's completely gone. There's floors that they had cleaned out. They had moved, they had relocated the sink to a second location and completely furnished it. Whoa. And I was like, holy shit. The, the older woman did this? Or no, crew? Our, my crew Okay, did this. I was and like, I was this like, little woman, shit. like, jumped on it. <laughs> um, and, like, and I was like, I also had things in the script I wanted to do. I was like, oh, I really have some, like, one of the scenes that people really cite as being something they liked in that film is because I don't like flashbacks in movies. I like mm -hmm. flashbacks, but I think they're always done in a very uninteresting way. It's just a hard cut or like a weird filter or something. Yeah, to get you to I a agree. Yeah. And I was like, I want to show flashbacks, but I don't want to just cut to a previous time period and have it be colored differently. I just not about that. So me and my cinematographer came up with this really crazy idea. And I was like, what if we like the movie's being shot at night and like he walks into a flashback where then it's daytime. 
Mm. And I and I was we pitched it to them. It's like, yeah, we can do that. Um, but I was looking at the schedule. I was like, but we can't shoot any nights. It's like you don't have any nights on here because we had high schoolers or any any high schooler who entered into the screenwriting competition could be on set and learn. Mm. And I was like, they can't be. They can only work X amount of dates on uh, before they have to call a wrap. And the whole point of them is being on set. So I was like, well, we can't work any nights. How are we going to achieve this? I come to set that day. They have half the cabin tented off and lit like it's nighttime. They even have a rain machine on the outside of it to make it rain. And then they, and the other half of the house, they have a bright light coming in to make it look like daylight. And I go in and it's literally a night to day transition. And yeah. it's like, holy shit, we did this in person. We have a, him walking from daytime to night or nighttime to daytime in the same shot with no digital trickery. So that was a big moment for me. It's like, it's kind of crazy that I have a crew of people who are here to help me with this. Right. And then like, I, I'm used to editing my own projects. I had an editor, I had a sound designer, I had a composer all working towards this. Like I was crewing on a Sean Astin movie that summer mm -hmm. I was shooting here. And I was just a PA and I did art direction. I'd have to get permission to leave set early because it's like, oh, I have to go and see the newest cut of my movie. And I'd go into the, the editing bay and sit down in a comfy chair and they're like, oh, this is what we've done with it. And I just have to give them notes. Like, this is such a weird way of working where I'm supposed yeah. to used to doing everything on my own. Yeah. That it spoiled me. Mm. So when I want, and I was, I was riding the high of making a movie and I knew I'd have to go back to doing things myself. I knew that. But I had a, a new film I wanted to make and I was working with uh, another high school student who wrote a real, what I thought was an interesting script that needed some work, mm -hmm. but I really liked the core idea. And we got to making that and went back to just doing a running gun style of shooting and it took me, shooting went by fast. Yeah. Like maybe a couple weekends. It was also shooting in the dead of winter, so it was negative degree temperatures. I had a lot of goodwill of people I knew, so there was people out there helping me, like steady cam operators shooting with me and cinematographers and lighters who weren't asking for much money, if at all. But I got so spoiled with the rear end of production being right. taken care for me that the post-production process in that film was a complete and utter nightmare. Mm -hmm. That when I actually finished it, it's like, I didn't like the movie anymore. Mm. And it kind of spiraled me out a little bit. Right. And that's kind of when the podcast came to be. When I needed something to help me fall in love with movies again. I was like, I'm just going to create a podcast. Yeah. Fuck it. Anyone can make a podcast. So that's what I did. And here you are. Mm-hmm. That was a very long, drawn out. No, I liked it. It was good. Story. And you I, answered I left, more questions. I left a lot out, too. But no, I liked it. I One of my questions as you were as you were talking was gonna be like what's it like working on everything and then being and you answered that yeah so <laughs> it's uh, it's weird though yeah do you have i guess you made it sound like your preference was when you have a full crew well i think that's everyone's preference yeah. though everyone likes where the load gets taken off your shoulders but i'm now kind of at this point where i just want to make something and i want to mm -hmm. make something cool and i don't care if i have to do every job myself right i just want to get something cool made yeah. Okay. So if you could create a film, <laughs> budget isn't a problem. You have your crew. Everything you need is like right there for you. What kind of film would you create? Well, my instinct is always to say make another horror film. Yeah. Because that's what I'm. That's the, the script that I have written. It's a. It's 
my homage to slasher films. Isn't it the one with the pig? Mm -hmm. yep. Mm -hmm. yep. I did, yeah, I did share a little bit of yeah. that one. But, like, if I had anything, I even had, like, I could get likeness rights and all this other stuff and even mm -hmm. have some stories and maybe a, another writer to help me with it. Mm -hmm. My dream project is I love professional wrestling. It's mm. one of my favorite things other than film in the world. And one of my favorite wrestlers from the 1970s is a guy by the name of Harley Race. Okay. And I've always just wanted to do a movie on his life because mm. I think it would be fascinating. Um, and that would be my dream because I've always loved biopics as well. Especially yeah. on ones that are made on people that you wouldn't anticipate. Or I love anything behind the scenes of show business and things like oh, yeah, that. Yeah. And I just think a a movie about the life of a person that's prolific in professional wrestling that maybe the majority of people wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. I think would be would be amazing. Yeah, but that's I guess that's like a dream project that I would love to do. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. It'd be fun. Uh, I do like. I don't have the full cast in mind because I don't know what necessarily which part of his life I'd want to. I I would necessarily do. I feel like I'd want to do through his his prolific championship career mm -hmm. and then him getting into the business and things like that. The only person I know for a fact I'd want to do is I'd want John C. Riley to play uh, Harley Race because if you look at a picture of both of them, they look they look a lot alike. Nice. So that's the only thing like in my mind, my heart of hearts. I think that would be great if I could do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of like anyone else, not really. Uh, I just think it'd be great to be able to, you know, I, ooh, hi, Lewin. <laughs> I love ooh. movies that recreate specific times in history. Yeah. Thud. The <laughs> thud. So yeah, like off the top of my head, that's like the one I'd love to do. Like I'm, you know, I'd always love to do like a, a Bonnie and Clyde Lovers on the Run movie. Yeah. You know, Sci-fi. Like, I, there's so many things I'd love to do, but like that's the one that, if I had all the control in the world, or just because it's hard enough just to get the the rights to someone's life. Right. Just like uh, I guess another thing I'd love to do is um, I've actually gotten the permission to write this, and I've started writing it. Um, Lloyd Kaufman of Trauma Entertainment is, he was a big influence early on in my career because, mm -hmm. um, and I think he's got a really interesting life. Mm -hmm. I, he gave me permission to write a script about his life and that would be another thing that I'd like to do. So like, yeah, it seems to be the history of people is where I'm kind of interested at the moment. Yeah. So you got your horror track mm -hmm. and then you got your history of <laughs> yeah, people and like, wrestling. I, I also just love it too. Like where you hear stories about like people like Jim, Jim Jarmusch or, or Martin Scorsese or Tim Burton, all these directors who was like, I have an idea. Right. And they pitch it to a producer or something and they find a screenwriter and they're like, I just loved it where I can be like, I have an idea. And start fleshing it out where I don't actually have to do all the scripting myself. Be like, let's right. work on this idea and try to flesh this out and see what we can get. Yeah. Like, I think that'd be fun. Okay. How about one final question? I'm 21, right? Mm -hmm. If you could go back in time and talk to your 21-year-old self. Mm -hmm. You kind of touch base on this, but mm -hmm. a little bit. What kind of advice would you give yourself? Soak in everything you can. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the biggest thing. And to shed any preconceived notions of how you think you get into the film business, what, what the right way is, what the wrong way is, shed all of that and soak up every piece of information you can, any books that you can get your hands on, any any um, DVD special features, whatever. Yeah. And also go outside your comfort zone. 
um, I discovered a lot of cool stuff in film school. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that I should have discovered earlier on that I didn't see or didn't experience because I had it convinced in my brain that I wasn't going to like it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I've learned anything, and this, this goes for anyone who is a fan of movies in general, whether you be, you know, of the tribe of people like we are, we just, we love everything, we love so much. Yeah. Or even just someone who only goes to the movies on a Friday to give themselves something to do. There's so many people who stop themselves from seeing something because they don't think they're gonna like it. Mm. And I wish I would have shedded that early on. Mm. Um, Cause like, I even see it now a lot too on like film groups that I follow. People will be like, about to watch blank what do you all think about it? Should I waste, should I spend my time? It's like, oh, turn yeah. it on, just watch it. Right. No, it's, don't, don't go into viewing as, is this going to be a waste of my time? Right. Like I, uh, some people say I'm a little too forgiving when it comes to movies sometimes, where I'm, I've got, the, I've got a philosophy where that if there was one good scene, it wasn't a waste of my time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, where, uh, and now I have the issue where there's so much stuff I want to watch that I can never get to it all. Yeah. So soak up everything. Um, have your goal in mind of what you want to do and how you want to get there. Mm-hmm. But don't be discouraged if it doesn't go the way you had planned. In film school, if someone would have, I, I liked podcasts when I was in film school, but if someone would have said that I'd be making more of a name for myself recording podcasts than actually making movies, I'd probably laugh and be like, no. That's not that's not going to be my path. Right, yeah. But it's been a path that's brought me so much fulfillment. Yeah. So take the turns as they come and take opportunities. Even if the opportunity ends up being complete shit. Take weird right. opportunities. Someone offers like, "Hey, do you want to do you want to come to a small town in Virginia with me and make a movie?" If sure. you can afford to do it, <laughs> you can everything lines up and you can right. get off your job, you know, don't say yes until you've made sure you can actually do it right but don't be like well, what if this isn't good what if this doesn't look this sucks what if i don't like the script what if i don't like it right just if you can make it happen go right. do it take the opportunity because you never know where you're gonna leave and like i said or even like if like oh you know i haven't got a chance to make a movie in a while but this website's offered me an opportunity to write my feelings and thoughts about film right Maybe not silly reviews but you know just essays on it if you feel like you got something to say take it right like I, I if I've learned anything from my time working in film is there's more jobs out there than just being a filmmaker or being a director mm. if you truly love film you'll find a path that right. works for you and I would be bummed out that if I, if I never really got to make the feature film I want to make but if I can make a life and a living and a career off of being one of those dudes who just talks about movies I'd be mm-hmm fucking you'd be living your life right because i still get to do something with film which is one of the few things that i truly love in this world yeah i like that i also like your owl cup or is it a snowman thank you it's an owl it's an owl (laughs) uh this is my one of my wife's cups but i thought it'd be not it'd be nice and nondescript oh yeah i like that i'm thinking so yeah that would be my my advice to myself or you or whoever is just soak things up and 
you know, like what I do, like I like like all film nerds. Whenever yeah. Criterion does their big sale, we go to Barnes and Noble or onto their website and pick up the titles that we've been eyeing up. Yeah, yeah. Biggest thing I I tell people is grab the ones you want to get. Definitely. Yeah. Pick up a couple that you've never heard of. Yeah, look yeah. At, look at the cover and be like, oh, that looks interesting. Read the description and give things a shot. Right. So many people are afraid to see things or listen to music or read things that they've never heard of. But that can be some of the most rewarding stuff. And yeah, sometimes it might suck, but right. honestly, not everything can be good. Not yeah. everything can be great. Um, but that's part of it. Right. Like if you only surround yourself with what's good and what's what makes you happy, you kind of just start becoming just very even toned. Mm-hmm. You know, challenge yourself. Right. Be uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. um, like, like even with my wife, as a challenger, because like, um, and it's not that she doesn't like foreign films, but sometimes right. it's not always her instinct to want to watch something subtitled. And I sometimes the same way. You know, come home from a long day at work. You don't know if you want to necessarily read, but sometimes challenging yourself to do that it can be some of the most rewarding things. Yeah, there's really good foreign mm-hmm. films I've watched recently. I've also found too where I've, I've, I always try to find the artfulness in stuff that wasn't intended to be artful. Uh, for the podcast, we have a sponsor, uh, a company called Vinegar Syndrome, that mm-hmm. primarily puts out like lost and hard to find horror cult exploitation and even weird porn um (laughs) i support them yeah they put out (laughs) this weird stuff that like you know maybe got 200 cop got a release of 200 vhs tapes in the 80s and it was never seen again and it's stuff that some of it's not very good some of it's not really very well made it's sometimes made by people who have never sometimes you question if they've ever seen a movie before (laughs) yeah but Sometimes that's the most fun stuff. It's like, yeah, as a whole, the movie maybe that wasn't good, but there's something interesting. There's an earnestness to it, right? Because um, I've just thought, like I used to be like a lot of people were, you know, whenever the Oscars would come around, I would chase down all the Oscar films and see as many as I can. And I found myself after a couple years of doing that, just getting really bored and tired of the formula. Yes, I agree. Where uh-huh. now it's like. What's something weird right. that I might not have seen before? One of the biggest joys of my year is I, I, I once a year write a list for a website called Rupert Pumpkin Speaks, mm. and I do a discoveries list of mm. just weird shit that I found. And I, I've got my own strict rules for what counts as a discovery and whatnot. Right. And uh, that's always the weirdest stuff for me. Is the most yeah. fun stuff. It's like, was this movie good? No, but it was interesting. Right. You know. Um, where I've seen movies that on every level were great, but I've never thought about ever again. Like, what was the, the movie The Theory of Everything? Oh, yeah, the yeah. Stephen Hawking movie is, is great. It was a good movie. It's, it was well-made, well-acted, well-directed, but I probably will never watch that movie again in my life. Yeah. Just, and it's like, it's, it's a great movie, yeah. But then a weird movie made by a bunch of college students in the 70s when they're trying to create a cop drama, but they only have $5,000 to spend. Wasn't a good movie, but I'm gonna end going back to that movie more. So that's my whole thing is, you know, after after a while you see enough of these, what's considered to be great films um, or well-reviewed films, and you just start feeling numb to them all. Yeah, I agree. 
where I don't like that feeling. I don't like feeling numb. So I'll still see those movies. I'll still see big budget, whatever movies. I'll go see Transformers. I'll go see whatever. Right. But as soon as I start feeling myself to become uninterested, I switched gears. Right. You know, because even with those weird films I get from Vinegar Syndrome after a while, it's like, I don't really want to watch something like this right now. I want to watch this. So I just, I follow my gut to what it's telling me. Right. I like that. Yeah. And look, so that's the biggest thing. Another thing I guess I could tell you is don't let the fear of something being bad stop you from seeing it mm. or, or doing it. Yeah. Because there's a, a podcast I like quite a bit called Shockwaves. It's a horror podcast. You, you post I've, about it a lot. Yeah. And um, one of the hosts on there, he's, a, he's a, a teacher. And he one time said that it's like, I don't have a lot of time for negativity. Mm-hmm. Because and he was he was speaking and he always uses this movie as an example. He's like I don't have a lot of time for negativity. I'll give my feelings on something, but I don't spend a lot of time on hating on something. Because while I might hate, while I might not like it, uh, the microwave massacre might be someone's favorite movie. Right. So, just because everyone around you is like, oh, that movie's not good. Sure, you don't have to go see it. I'm not saying see everything that's bad. Right. But make your own opinions first. Go see it. Maybe you might love it. Right. Like, that's the reason I don't read film criticism before I've seen something. Right. Um, I'll read it afterwards, and I don't always agree. Like, um, Leonard Moulton famously gave Taxi Driver a terrible review, but it's considered one of the greatest films of all time. But I still respect him for saying that. Right. And it's thinking that. Because I'm glad that he's got his own opinion. Right. So. Well, thank you. You're welcome. You're always so nice and accommodating, and I really appreciate all the time. Anytime. If, if you need more, house is always open. I love it. Thank you. You're very welcome.